In our latest episode, we wanted to dig deeper into the value of advice, the benefit of experience and the importance of talking to your family about money. And we knew one of the best people to discuss this with would be David Jones from Dimensional Fund Advisors. David's has more than 30 years experience in financial services and prior to joining Dimensional he was managing director of his own financial planning firm. He's also an academic, a guitarist and an expert in mind mapping, memory skills, speed reading and applied innovation. So we have plenty to talk about. Welcome to season two of The Century Plan, a podcast that looks at financial independence how you achieve it and how you maintain it during a lifetime which may see people born today living to age 100. With me, Dennis Hall, Chartered Financial Planner and owner of Yellowtail Financial Planning. And me, Sarah Steele. I'm co-director at Yellowtail, but on the podcast I'm here to ask questions on behalf of you, the consumer. Hello, David. As you know, I was going to talk to you about mind mapping, but I've been on holiday and Sarah has been doing a lot of research and coming across lots of things you've been talking about that she has convinced me are far more interesting than talking about mind mapping. So what I'm going to do is hand over the bulk of the of the talking to you and Sarah and um, interject when I think things I can add something to the conversation, if that's OK. That's very fair. Okay, thanks, Dennis. Um, hi, David. Um, hi, Sarah. Hello. So, yes, I've been reading lots of uh, pieces that you've written and and bits and pieces about you. Um, but perhaps we should start off by you telling us um, a bit about your journey through financial services um, to where you are today. If that's all right. Okay, so we'll go back to the early Neolithic uh, period. We've only got an hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was uh, actually it, it's interesting because when I joined the dots backwards, it always makes sense. But uh, like everybody else, you could have never predicted your career looking forward unless I suppose you'd gone into medicine or the law or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I was an academic, so I was I was doing my PhD in American foreign policy and ran out of money and because I was in London and didn't fancy the idea of going back to live with my parents in Devon I had to get a job at a time when jobs were not so easy to come by and so I got a job selling advertising space which I didn't even know was a job up to that Mm -hmm. point and uh, of course it's it was uh, quite a quite a tough environment uh, uh, you know in one of these call centers you know trying to trying to make a sale and I think I lasted in the first job uh, six months. They always used to say you get your gold watch for long service if you if you last <laughs> longer than four months. And um, then I went on to another job on a, on a much more reputable organ, um, selling selling space, and that was that was a lot of fun. Um, but it really wasn't for me. And then so I went from that job uh, via a recommendation from a friend to working in recruitment. Right. And so I worked in a recruitment agency for a while and, and must have interviewed thousands of people and ran some really interesting big projects for for that age because we we were able to take on large projects like stock taking the, the national um, car part uh, centre for one of the big um, automakers. Uh, and you need to recruit armies of people. And from that, uh, uh, somewhere along that journey, I'd, I'd met a financial advisor and we'd got on quite well. And he was looking for somebody to be the general manager of his business. Uh, it, it, we could have been making widgets. He, he needed somebody who could actually deal with the staff and, and, and run the business, essentially. So I, 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 joined, I joined them. Uh, essentially, He made me an offer I couldn't refuse. And I joined the, the business, eventually morphed into um, uh, being, uh, we did a lot of group pensions work. So I became the the, the the guy who would go out and see the the companies and you know have ten meetings a day with people uh, getting them signed up for their pension plans, but um, one of the things that happened was that we became very early adopters and I'm I'm talking like 1990 91 very early adopters of a fee based approach because we we kind of looked at this the situation of very high commissions very high charges very poor value and 
we kind of went on something of a campaign and and so we campaigned against high charges in pension contracts and tried to sort of think of a way that we could get better value for money uh, for people in in their savings and we achieved some prominence we we were featured a lot in the sunday papers and we were on panorama we were on the money program and uh, a few other tv programs and sort of that we kind of uh, worked pretty hard on that and then uh, over time i i launched my own financial planning but i was more interested in the financial planning side of things so so i actually sort of broke away to do more financial planning and then life planning and and that kind of thing so when i joined the dots you know all of that made sense because i had the uh, you know to come to dimensional which is you know a, a, a quite an academic firm you know a lot of the work we do is based on you know the the academic work in finance so i go trace it all the way back i was doing a phd uh, so i understood the academic background i then went into a very you know salesy job so i started to understand what it meant to sell for mm-hmm. a living and how to be effective at that i then got involved with the recruitment thing so i understood people and how to recruit people how to interview and then i got involved with um obviously a small uh, advisor practice so all of that made sense so if yeah. you look at what I do now, it's like it all makes sense. <laughs> it was a perfect preparation for the job that I have because all of those elements are, are involved. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that you've sort of had experience in every area there. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of almost say operationally first. Yeah, and... absolutely. So, and I think when I first joined Dimensional, so uh, um, I joined in 2009. So I'd been a client of Dimensional as an advisor for for some time. But um, when Dimensional was still a very small entity in the UK or much more significant globally, but there were only, uh, this is the head of the uh, advisor business plus one other regional director and they were recruiting another regional director. And I loved everything about the firm so much in in terms of my experience as a client and and particularly the the academic side of it appealed to me really, really, um, had addressed so many of the concerns that I'd had about investing people's money and 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 uh, you know finding dimensional was just just the breath of fresh air um an opportunity came up and I talked it over with my wife who also worked with me in in, in the business and we said yeah that's my that's my job that is <laughs> I think I think I should be doing that and so uh I uh uh, seven interviews later I did actually land a job with Dimensional and um, we went uh, through the process of uh, of unraveling our business so that I could become a Dimensional Regional Director and then, and then 2013 when my when my boss left the business to go and start his own business um, I took over as head of the uh, of the advisor business in the UK. Fantastic well it's the I mean, that's a really interesting journey. It's the it's the sort of financial planning side that I want to focus on, certainly to start off with. Sure. Um, having read some of the things that you've written and, and talked with you before, uh, we've had conversations about how important different people's sort of professional relationships are. So, you know, we, we know how important maybe a doctor is to us or a, a lawyer, um, sort of relationships that we have ongoing through our lives. But mm-hmm. you feel that the financial planner is right up there um, in terms of importance yes. uh, for people working with them. Why, why do you say that? Well, for, for one thing, um, I sort of take law and accountancy. I, I see those as past based professions in the content i mean it's not universally true but they're essentially dealing with things that have happened in in the past Mm. they are not future based and they don't deal with people's goals and dearly treasured you know um dreams and and stuff that is about their future uh really significantly about their future and and i think the financial planning is uniquely placed uh, to do that Uh, the other thing is that it's as a profession, it's uniquely placed for people to be able to reflect their own sense of identity and and, and values and worth. Whereas I, I think medicine, law, accountancy are rather more constrained in terms of people's expectations with what a doctor, a lawyer or an accountant should be. Uh, and I think financial planning has given people more license to reflect their own personality 
in the way that they bring value to their clients. Um, but if you think about, like, the sad fact is that the vast majority of people in this country, I think globally as well, but the vast majority of people have no financial plan. Mm. They 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 live really on the on the edge uh, uh, in terms of um, how how secure they are. Uh, mm. Oftentimes, it's illusory. You know, they're, they're living with an illusion of of safety, and if if stuff happens. Do they do they have an emergency fund? Often no. no. Uh, are they heavily indebted? Often yes. Do they have any idea what they're going to do about that? No. Uh, and so, uh, if they were to die, are they properly insured? You know, all of the all of these really basic things um, that a financial planner uh, can do that would that is of enormous impact to to financial you know obviously families financial well-being mm -hmm. but i think it works at a societal level as well that actually you know to to have a really well functioning financial planning profession that means that people aren't throwing themselves on the, at the mercy of the state when they become destitute because they didn't make proper financial provision so i'm very 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 passionate uh, about uh, financial planning and its importance in people's lives. It's another subject, but accessibility would be the big one of the bigger problems there. One, there aren't that many financial advisors in the country, yeah. and those that are, um, the costs of running financial planning firms it, it isn't cheap. It, no, uh, and and then you know the big, it's you know we have this two-edged sword, which is one. Uh, because of, of the things that have happened in the past and still to an extent happen, you need very strong regulation. Uh, the cost of regulation, compliance, PI insurance, et cetera, is very high. And so that then uh, in order to run a well-functioning practice, you need to cross those hurdles before you can even make any money for yourself. And therefore, uh, what has happened over time is that... The, um, uh, financial planning has become more and more of a luxury uh, item for people so it's it's affordability uh, is re is a real problem now if you go back uh, uh, you know over over the last century um why uh, financial or personal financial services was really uh, the the province of the insurance companies mm -hmm. so it was the man from the pru and let's so industrial branch life insurance was there to do a job for working class families who wanted to provide the basic protections and at the let's say at the very basic level knowing that they could bury their loved one without falling into destitution because of the funeral cost and so uh, there was uh, uh, you know a look at the uh, the friendly societies and and various different industrial bodies and unions who would sort of provide this basic social support for a, for a few pence a week that was collected by somebody who, who called round, and who had actually a, a respected status within the community because they knew that if somebody was killed or hurt in an industrial accident, the family was taken care of. Mm -hmm. And now they, they did an enormous amount of good. And then, of course, you know, over time, uh, the, the, it kind of gets skewed by the financial incentives. And so it's not so much about serving good. It's like, how much money can we we make out of this? And there was a real, I guess, from the 1970s and 80s onwards. That uh, move away from mutual status yes. to listed companies with shareholders yeah. and the shareholders want paying. And very, and very different uh, set of incentives. So I, I don't think there's anything wrong with if you're, you know, in commerce, if you sell any you know, any product in you know, retail product, you're going to be, yeah, you're going to be taking some margin on it. That's how it works. If you if you if you own a car franchise, nobody expects you to sell the car for nothing. They expect you to make a margin on it and run your business. And so I, you know, I don't uh, believe that there's anything inherently wrong with you making a margin on a product that you sell. The challenge arises is when those. Those charges are so egregious and the value delivered, it's so questionable. Then, you know, the, 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 there's a sense of proportion. So we did see this huge um, 
uh, and in many cases justified backlash against the, the amount of commission that was paid out um, on financial services product. But the the throwing the baby out with the bathwater element of that was you took out like whole swathe of 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 uh, people who would have gone out and talked to families about basic financial planning and making provision. And so the challenge is that there aren't enough of those people around. The banks aren't in that business anymore. The big insurance companies aren't in that business anymore. So there are thousands, if not millions of people in this country who don't have access to somebody who just sit down with them and, and talk through the basics. And it's fine putting Martin Lewis on the TV, but it is no substitute no. For actually sit, somebody sitting down with you and saying, let me just talk you through the basics of this and have you commit to saving some money on a regular basis. Because if you don't, uh, over you know, it, the, the compounding effect will 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 not kick in. You've got to start as early as you can. So my dad was on at me you know, very early on in my 20s. Like, have you started? You know, have you got your pension started yet? Have you gone to talk to somebody about your pension? I mean, it's because of my dad doing that that I ended up in the job that I have, um, because that's that's essentially what I did. If we could look at the school curriculum too, as we, if you're going to get people on the right track early, it's that's where it should happen. The number of people yeah. that do leave full time education without a real understanding of of the, the basics. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's, um, I, and it's. I think there's also an element which it has to be, uh, you know, in context. If you learn things at school, you don't really get it. But if if when you're learning it in context of, oh, I'm actually having to get a mortgage now, mm-hmm. and then you you kind of it becomes very very evident what what you need to do. But um, you, you you know you talked about article. I've just written an art a new article. It's which is not out yet, but it's it's called Monopoly Money. Yeah, and the idea of that article is. You know how in many many families you just don't talk about money. Now the only time you might talk about money is every year. You know, uh, uh, you know, holiday season you drag out the Monopoly board and you 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 play Monopoly and it's play money and people are actually sort of transacting with play money. But the the reality is that in many families, I know it's certainly true of me growing up. My parents, well, we never talk about money. No, no, no. <laughs> very well. very 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 secretive and. Yeah um uh you know it wasn't it wasn't until my mother died and i helped my father do the probate that we actually ever sat and and i'd been a financial planner for 20 years at that point we actually ever sat down and talked about his his situation and and that came about because um he was of a generation that just didn't know anything about computers and when we we did the calculations and i was doing the valuations from my mother's estate and i was using my laptop computer in a spreadsheet he just thought it was it was like magic um, <laughs> and so uh he he liked the idea that actually i could build him a spreadsheet and we could update his investments when i used to go and see him every month and and so we it really opened up a conversation uh around money uh that we n- we'd never ever had uh, growing up and i remember saying to him once well dad you really are you, you do know you're a wealthy man and he was well, well, no, I don't, I don't get that at all. I go, it's ridiculous. And this is his Great Depression mindset yeah. kicking in. Um, but I said, look, you're you're thinking it purely in terms of uh, of the money, but I'm thinking about it in terms of time. You know, that you you with your lifestyle and you live very frugally, you're you're never going to outspend your money. Uh, and he said, well, but what if I have to go into a home? This is, of course, what you hear from so many uh, older people which is mm. this concern of of the care uh, care costs to just uh, chew through the, the the wealth and uh i well actually even with that making you know some pretty decent assumptions given that he was fairly elderly by that point so i really don't you know you don't you don't have to worry and me and my sisters you know we are well you know we're well taken care of so please go and buy a new car yeah (laughs) please spend some money Uh, but it's you know it's this this challenge that we have of you know there's so much about the money is the psychology aspects and uh, i think the 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 key for financial planning is so much around the behavioral aspects of it's it's yeah we we need to know about the tax and the estate planning and asset allocation and all these technical aspects 
of what happens underneath the hood. But the reality is, you know, your behavioral counselors with a focus on money. It's true. I remember when I first started doing this work in financial services, being technically as good as I could be. I was the go-to person in the office for, for technical information. And I would go and meet clients and sort of get an indication of what they were looking for and then give them the real technical answer. And this is what you should do. And at the end of the meeting, they say, well, we're not doing that. Because you just hadn't, you know, I hadn't picked up on the human aspects of what the money was there for, what were their drivers, what yep. were their biases and all of those things. And when I went out and I was thinking, well, how, you know, I'm, I'm the brightest guy in the office making the least amount of money, going out with inverted commas salespeople who would have those conversations that you were talking about earlier, but actually just, just got in tune with people and started talking to people about themselves and the things that were important to them so that when they presented a solution, it was a logical, not a technical thing to do. Mm, yes. And we might actually be exactly the same thing that I've recommended, but they framed it completely differently. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's so important that, that people don't think, they don't want to do things that confuse them. They, they want, I don't think, uh, Dennis, and it certainly was true for me, but I, I'm going to imagine it's true for pretty much everybody on the planet, is a client comes into your office and says, Mr. Hall, I would really like you to make my life more complicated. <laughs> I want I want you to present me with some of the most confusing advice I'm ever going to receive in my life. <laughs> and it's no. financial services, so I know you can do that. Yeah, yeah. so no, they, they, they want to come in and they want you to make their life simple. Uh, and in many cases, uh, I think it's... a it's it's a cliche, but it's true that it's what we call the Tesco's carrier bag job, which is that the client arrives with a Tesco's carrier bag with every single piece of financial information that they've ever collected from from gas bills and the rates bill to the letter from the pension company that they everything and they make it is it's in no sense whatsoever. And so one of the hugely important things that we do in terms of value advice and you know, I've written it down as a formula, uh, so, which is um, how do you know how do we provide them with that sense of organisation so that they feel comfortable that it's not it's not overwhelming to them. And I always used to say you can't underestimate the value of a well ordered lever arch file in somebody's life. You know, it's they go out there going wow. So you've thrown away all the rubbish, yes, and this is just what I need to take care of, yes, and you've tagged it neatly, yes. Brilliant. Yeah. And I want I just want to bring it back to what you were saying about people not talking about money because mm -hmm. that's a big subject and, and a big problem. And you were saying that you, you know, you've had plenty of experience with this and you had a client who I think was doing some building work and then unfortunately died. Oh. Ah, no, it's <laughs> no, people, was no, that right? Or left people no, in a situation. <laughs> So it was a, a, a lovely lady uh, who was a client of mine, and um, uh, she was—I mean, she was quite wealthy—and um, she had two adult children. And I hadn't heard from her for a while, and, and mm. normally we would have got to, gotten together. So I thought, well, you know, what's going on? And, and eventually, I got hold of Margaret, and what what had occurred was that she'd been very ill. She'd actually been in hospital uh, in an induced coma, okay. uh, and. Uh, she had two adult children, one of whom was a barrister, and they didn't know how to access any of the any of their mother's uh, finances or knew anything about what was mm. going on. And it so happened she was having some building work done, and the builder needed paying, so they ended up borrowing some money off a wealthy friend to give the builder something in cash. And it was like it seemed crazy to me that there wasn't some mechanism by which. Um, that they would have known who to call. Yeah. Uh, and I, I I said, well, what, what you need to have, and I call it the one number on the fridge. Mm. You know, everybody keeps their you know, most important numbers, like the 24-hour plumber and the uh, pizza delivery and all of that. So it like, goes on the fridge, doesn't it? It's like, well, shouldn't you have this number? And I called it the one number. So, so I, I sort of evolved this idea that, you know, for, for, for my clients, that this one number should represent the, the the portal the gateway into anything that you need doing mm. it's like your financial uh, emergency with um first responders 
Yeah. If anything happens, you should you should call us because we will know everything that you need to know in order to help in that situation. Yeah, and um, take that pressure away. Yeah. yeah, and and that's and you know so much of the value of advice is uh, for people is in the peace of mind. Absolutely. It's like do I do I know that this this can be taken care of? And there's nothing more you know more comforting than than to somebody say no, so it's fine. We got it. We yeah. know exactly what to do um it's fine relax we got it how do you get people to talk then with their families how what do you do, <laughs> what do, you do with your own family um to make sure this sort of situation doesn't happen uh we recognized um that it, there, it was important first of all um to have an open dialogue as a couple i mean that's the, really the starting point and uh Sort of, but even between couples, there is an incredible amount of secrecy often, and sometimes this covers uh, financial infidelity, which we know is is quite a big issue. And sometimes financial infidelity also covers other forms of infidelity. But we we know that actually secrecy between couples around money is is problematic, and there's 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 quite a lot of academic literature on on this subject alone. So first of all, having a couple recognize that they need to have an open dialogue uh, around money. Sometimes this is challenging because couples often have, you know, very different values or very different upbringings around this. And so trying to bring everybody onto one page and uh, to get a mutual understanding without it becoming an argument over how much you spent on whatever, mm. you kind of need to externalize that. So a financial advisor becomes really important. I'm not saying they become the referee. They become they're, neutral. Yeah, you're a third party who knows how to facilitate a conversation around money where no judgment is present. Okay, that is really clear. We don't want to have a judgmental environment. And then at an appropriate juncture, and, and so just this is what happened with, with, with myself and my wife, was obviously I've been doing this a very long time. And we, we have a financial ad advisor uh, who essentially was hired in order to become the one number on the fridge emergency servicing i think in case anything happened to me but we realized that having meetings with the financial advisor was kind of irrelevant for me and confusing for my wife so we said well actually you you need to run the meet this is your meeting you run the meeting and, and i will be a very uh, passive um, participant in that meeting but you run the meeting well, instantaneously, that improved the you know the outcomes of those meetings a lot because she was getting what she needed from it. And then we said, well, this doesn't make sense because so much of what we need to communicate is around what happens if dot dot dot. Yeah. And then our children need to know. So it made much more sense that instead of having uh, a meeting where it's just the two of us sitting down, if we're prepared as we were to be completely open about our financial situation that we would involve our children who were they were adult children mm. by that point but so that's what we we started to do and, and of course they found it uncomfortable particularly when you know you're talking about the death of parents and having recently uh, lost they would have lost grandparents for relatively recently it was it was a sore subject for them but they recognized the importance of saying also because you know they saw the process of me actually doing the probate and that kind of thing it was they realized it was a big deal and yeah. actually it would make their lives so much easier if they understood this <clears throat> and and i think the, the the important thing which is a lot of people who who run these family um conversations uh recognize is that it's not just really about communicating the money it's about communicating communicating the values around money it is and that's something that can't be done if everything is left in the will yeah so people have this huge fear about talking to their children about money uh, and, and maybe gifting money when they can afford to do that in case they do the wrong thing but mm. that's the end that's the that is the most appropriate time to do it because you can begin to shape their thoughts around money and, mm. uh, and some of their own values rather than, you know, the, the moment you're no longer there, there is nothing you can do. Yeah. It matters not on that point. Yeah, and and it may also be the case, and we, we know this to be the case, uh, that on the whole, 
when um, both parents die or both uh, that the, the children won't use the the advisor they'll get they'll have their own advisor um and so there's that you lose that continuity whereas where where the advisor or the firm sometimes it might be a younger advisor in the firm who works directly with the the children is you could kind of get a, a, a continuity uh, i think that's important because really you know all all money is family money at some <laughs> some sense you know a lot of a lot of the uh, of our net worth we in, we inherited we've made some we've inherited some and i think if you you think well we're, we're just stewards of this you know for future future generations and you know if you if you look back over the history of our family i mean you go back a couple of generations and you know we were we were peasant folk scratching a living mm -hmm. and we've uh and we've kind of you know they become professionals uh, over a couple of generations and uh had um resources and and uh money available to us that would have been unthinkable yeah. to two or three generations ago so we've done you know we've worked hard for it um uh, my parents worked very hard for it um and and we're very careful with their money and and kind of that's definitely some of the values that got passed on to us it's certainly values that we pass on to our children I mean, you know they are both very hard-working young women um and, yeah. and they value and they've worked hard for their money and they you know, uh, it, it have a, you know, we like to think that they've inherited some of those values. And so can you tell me about the exercise that you did, you mentioned before, during lockdown? Uh, oh, yes. it, it sort of fits in quite well with some of the stuff we've talked about before in terms of, you know, well, we called it the dead file. Yes, um, we've got to change that. So we, yeah. Yes. Um, I think one of our listeners came up with a better um, phrase for it, but you, you went to a pretty um, detailed exercise in lockdown. Yeah. That, well, yeah, I, I think one of the things, well, obviously lockdown gave us the sort of opportunity to do some of these things because you couldn't do anything uh, anything else. But the, the, the thing that we'd always promised was actually we would have the most comprehensive file available that would, would basically communicate everything uh you know all, all of the information that you would need to know all the contact details and then we actually extended it on this saying okay well let's let's document everything of value and and sort of uh tie it up with the, the you know the proof of ownership the serial numbers uh, and so if anything ever got missing or stolen whatever mm -hmm. you'd actually be able to just say well we can tell you exactly what it is um because you know, we we'd actually tied up all the information so yeah it was one of those um let's do this as a lockdown project it's like sorting out you know, 40 years worth of family photographs that sort of thing you want. Yeah. you're only ever going to do it in lockdown let's face it yeah. <laughs> so not that i want another <laughs> lockdown one, let's, yeah. let's be clear <laughs> <laughs> no thanks <laughs> so anyone listening to this now yeah, well, they're not going to get it done, are they? No, they're going to have to find another way of getting it done rather than waiting for another. Lot. Yeah, it's it's just it's you know, committing committing to saying you know if this is important enough, um, you know, is it more important than watching the telly or more important than you know? There's yeah. you'd always make an excuse, but um, and I think that's partly you know um, some of the what a, a, an advisor can do in terms of holding people accountable you said you were going to do this have you done it that that kind of prodding yeah. um or providing people with the template or the framework that allows them to it's do that for a lot of people it's knowing where to start if it's you know yeah. so giving them a, a series of steps it makes it quite easy to start yeah but break it down so yeah, in terms of you know the 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 basic financial stuff um, you know all the policies and investments and stuff well that's something the advisor can get them started with yeah now you break it down into well this time we're only going to be looking at documenting um jewelry or you know guitars in my case <laughs> all right do you play I, yes i do oh <laughs> yeah yeah they're not just for show <laughs> But it's a it's a sort of emotional commitment, isn't it? Because I mean, you've talked about this before, Dennis, about uh, you know those who are widowed being left behind with no, you know, they're in a hugely traumatic state, lots of stress, 
and then they don't know what they're doing financially. Well, there was that generation. It's changing, but I don't know how quickly it's changing, mm. where the husband would generally, generally take a responsibility for all the finances. And, I mean, the number of older wives and widows that I've met that never had their own checkbook, for instance, or their own credit card, and the, the moment their husband dies they have no access to, to money. They've got to go to the bank and almost, um, well, get access, somehow try and get access. access. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I I had that, exactly that experience with, with the widows that I dealt with as a financial advisor. I remember one lady uh, and her husband was very, very successful at IT. I mean, they were wealthy. She'd never written a check in her life. She was given, a, she was given cash every week dealt with the cash, ran the household, that was all fine, had no idea how to do that. I, I remember sort of using her, her grandchildren's building blocks to kind of disc, you know, do the basics of money. Um, yeah. uh, and I thought, like, how in this, how? I mean, this is like 1990-something, but how in this day and age could we, could we still be doing it? I think it is probably not as bad now. Um, it's not it's, as it's, bad. It's... Uh, and it sh- and it shouldn't be. I, I my parents had a really because both of them were professionals and and would and they they ran the system where they would uh, pay their own way for everything. So often, you know, they they go out for for lunch and then they get back and and my dad would hand over money to you know like, like they'd have to settle their account between the two of them and everything was literally split. Uh, the bill. split they split the bill and they paid their own way on on everything. Mm-hmm. That's very transparent then. Yeah, it's hugely, hugely transparent. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you mentioned earlier this formula that you've come up with for uh, the value of advice. Yes. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, why should you be doing some financial planning? What's mm-hmm. what's the value in it? How do you get the value out of it? And And I thought this formula was a really good way of explaining to people the value. Okay. Uh, the value of my value of the value of financial planning formula, which is, well, if you um, think about knowledge, okay, so lots of people, you know, maybe uh, professional people, or you know, they have very good generic knowledge. Uh, so they are literate, they're numerate, that's great. But the yeah. difference here is that they don't have the domain specific knowledge that a qualified planner has. Okay, so they, they, we spend a lot of time acquiring um, tax knowledge, estate planning knowledge, asset allocation knowledge, product selection. All of that, okay, is is um, you know it's hard yards acquiring that uh, and 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 the experience. So so, it, so the first part is K, so knowledge, but yeah. it's just um, uh, and obviously specialized knowledge. But it's it's K with a small A, and the small A is for the application of that knowledge. So understanding enough about somebody's unique situation, know that says says well, I could take this specific knowledge that I have and then be able to apply it appropriately to the to the situation that the, the clients present and their their goals and aspirations, so that we can take them on a journey. So if you're you're here and you know where you want to be. Uh, then we can sort of have a plan for how we 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 get there. So KA, and then the thing that I talked a little bit about earlier, which is this idea of organisation, um, that a huge part of of what uh, you can do uh, uh, as a financial planner is is provide a sense of organisation, and that's not just sorting the stuff out into a lever arch file, yeah. but it's it's doing things like cash flow forecasting, having those models in place. It also means that you could be dealing with other professionals uh, who might be, for example, doing the will or doing uh, an estate plan or maybe the accountant doing the the tax planning. But part of the organizational aspect is you might be like um, what the Americans would call a quarterback. We would call a a scrum half or fly half in, in rugby. But basically, you're distributing the work around the other people that needs to be done in order to have a, a successful structure. So you've got KA plus O. The third element is B small M, which stands for behavioral management. Right. And a lot of uh, actually, once you get beyond just the purely technical aspects, as we've discussed a little bit earlier, is is really understanding that a lot of of the success that comes in financial planning is actually dealing with people's emotions and behavior. And so 
for example, you have um, a, a volatile stock market. Uh, uh, when people say that, they mean it's fallen. <laughs> I mean, it's gone up a lot, <laughs> yeah. which could be also true. But basically, <laughs> you, you have uh, you take a big loss, and, and people get uh, scared, and uh, and at that point, you go, well, the most the, the thing you need to do is stay in your seat. Now we get that everything is screaming at you. The, the people on the news are, you know, saying thirty billion has just been wiped off the value of pensions. By the way, here's here's a clue for everybody out there that if you listen to the radio, if you listen to the the Radio Four News in the evening when you're driving home from work, they'll get to the end of the news and they'll say something like, "Well, the FTSE 100 index of leading shares went up by forty points today," or blah blah blah. Oh, it might have gone down by twenty points today. Provided that is at the end of the news, you're fine. Because if it's ever at the beginning of the news, <laughs> it'll be the stock market has fallen by 150 points today and 30 billion has been wiped off the value pension. So it's 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 there to scare you. They never say, by the way, the stock market went up by 200 points today and 50 billion has been added to the no, value pensions because no. it never happens that way. So you have to deal with it when you're financial planning is a couple of things. One is, you have to deal with people's raw emotions around this. And in order to do that, then really it's it, it, financial planners need to control their own emotions around money. And that's hard. And any of us who remember the worst days of 2007, 2008, when we were going through a pretty brutal period of time that as, as a financial planner in, in those days, I, I, I just turned off the news. I thought I am, I'm, I'm absolutely being of no help to people if I get swayed by these emotions myself. And I and, think that's where older advisors, sorry, I think it's where older advisors have got some experience. There was a, uh, the, Dr. John Coates, who'd been a trader in Wall Street, I think, um, mm. in one of, the, one of the, the crashes of around 2000, and was just wondering why the old guys on the desks were almost putting their feet up and, and, and relaxing and the young guys were pulling their hair out having tears and you know um he, to the point where he went off to to cambridge to become a professor to study exactly what was happening in the brains yes called that to happen yeah um but it yeah. is around that just that massive rush of endorphins and not being able to control them um mm. and as you yeah. if you've been through that cycle a few times you say yeah we've been here yeah, before we've, i'm we've been controlling before. it's not that we're emotionless mm -hmm. we're able to control them better yeah, I, I think there's there's expression, and I will finish the formula for you in a moment. Sir, but um, there's a, an old expression, and I think it was a credit uh, attributed to Sir John Templeton, which the foremost dangerous words in in investing are this time it's different. Mm -hmm. But actually, uh, the most foremost comforting are we've been here before. Mm -hmm. And and honestly, you know, it's that when you're talking about the behavioral management piece, it's we've been here before. This is why I'm staying. You see, don't panic. And, and obviously, in the bigger scheme of things, in terms of financial planning, and if you've got the the financial plan in place, you, you like the mo at the most basic level, somebody would say, "Look, we have got enough money in cash or readily realizable uh, assets that you can draw on that for longer than it takes for the stock market to have the wobble." Because the last thing we actually want to do is be drawing out of your equity portfolio mm. at a time when you know you're you're, you're actually drawing out of, a, of you know when they're falling you want to be able to leave that alone if you need money we've got a, a, a fund a cash whatever that's specifically designed uh, uh, to be that lifeboat during those periods of time but then just to to round out the the formula so let's say we've got ka plus o plus bm in parentheses raised to the exponential the exponential is r and r stands for relationship so ultimately yeah. the the value of the planning is great. You know, all of these things that are delivered as part of the service, great. But it's really, you know, uh, the exponential is really the relationship that you have with the planner. And that is the, the kind of you could, the intangible thing that is going to make a, a, a huge difference. Um, because if you do have a relationship with somebody that you can trust, who's going to be there, like at the end of the, the line, if something something bad happens or something great happens, but you need to you need to take a decision because it might be that you've come into a lot of money. But the reason you've come into a lot of money is because your parents died. Yeah. So you're dealing with all of these emotions. And 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 oftentimes, you know, you think about how people deal with 
uh, windfalls is is really interesting. People who won the the, the lottery, etc., and and, it, and and this large amount of money, it's like they they can't deal with it. No, so it's, you have this huge conflict with who, I, I don't know who I am. This the person I am doesn't deal with with huge amounts of money, and therefore I will get rid of it. You know, psychologically, I get rid of it uh, <laughs> as as quickly as possible. But what yeah. I've noticed with legacies is it's it's people feel um, that they have to protect that money. So there's there's a, a big thing in, in investing between uh, it, what's important from almost everybody. What's important is is income because you're looking at retirement. And the most important thing that most financial planners will do for clients is the retirement income replacement okay so that that's number one job and but people think that a lot of the time the the job is well i've got this money so i need to make sure that there's no loss in capital value which is which is insane because if you leave it alone inflation will do the job of eroding its capital you know its value so you you have to be thinking about how do you invest this money uh in order to beat inflation and uh, and in order to uh, deliver the income stream that you want so that's going to come with some fluctuation in the capital value. And you should be fine with that because over the long term, you've got a very different outcome in mind. So if you just thought about, oh, I'm going to alleviate this short-term pain of the fluctuation in value, what you're actually doing is a massive disservice to people's uh, long-term income stream. Mm-hmm. What a hugely important part of the, the financial planner's job is to educate people to focus on what's really important because emotionally they're uh, they're going to get tied up with well i inherited this money from my mum and dad and therefore i can't see any of it you know i can't lose any of it and my, number yeah. one thing is i can't lose any of it and i go yeah but actually there's you got to think about it differently that formula resonate with you dennis yes it does and it, yeah, it is right. Although that that R the 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 the, uh, the exponential is 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 variable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. relationship is really important, and you know we've talked about that a lot on the podcast, and um, I think it's something that perhaps people ha- haven't understood about working with a financial planner. And it goes back to what you said at the beginning about being about looking forward rather than looking at past events. Um, and you've. You've obviously been in the industry for you know a good time, much like Dennis. So if you could sort of sum up in, I don't know, two or three points, what people should get from working with a financial planner. And you know, just in case they're not getting this, um, you know, what what should they there's there's some very important fundamental things that should, people should be doing in terms of their financial planning. Yeah. So well, what what are those things? Uh, well, first of all, yeah, it's got to be built on a basis of trust. This has got to be somebody that you you can get on with. You don't have to be best friends, but I think you you have to work with somebody that you can trust and that you can trust to have your best interests at heart. And so that they will, you know, how do they evidence that? Well, they do things that, you know, clearly, are, you know, if they're doing stuff that's only in their best interest, you know that that should be a red flag so they're they're always motivated by i'm doing this because it's in 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 your best interest even if it's to my financial detriment Uh, should be a proper fiduciary standard but yeah i think it would i think it would fix a lot of a lot of issues if we did actually have that so number one is trust leading to number two which is uh the, the peace of mind so everything that uh, you sh- you know you, sh- you should get from your uh, relationship with the financial planner, and I would actually say with the financial planning firm, because actually having a relationship with a firm who have other people. So if you're only reliant on one relationship, what happens if they're on holiday or mm. incapacity? You, know, you need to have a relationship with the firm, which gives you genuine peace of mind. Uh, and I think it, the third thing I would say. You need to have a plan, okay? Not a sort of a vague set of wishes, but uh, when I talked about, for example, the contingency planning is, do you know what to do if? Yeah. And here it is written down. And so, title. 
yeah natural planning yeah it's it, but a lot of the time people don't actually they they confuse the acquisition of a product for a financial plan or as it stands as a proxy now years ago that might have been the case of uh if you know the only uh, tool you have is a hammer every problem looks like a nail and if 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 you think about the origins of financial services here it's insurance company so every every problem looked like we could be solved in an insurance policy so it's life insurance policy or a, a critical illness policy or a, an annuity which is you know the the, the insurance in case you you live too long and, uh, and so you're going to always get an income stream but um that's not a plan no okay? so what what you need to do is say can can you sit down with somebody and and create a plan that covers what you need to do in terms of how how am I going to uh, generate an income in retirement? Where's that going to come from? Uh, if I die, what's going to happen? If my wife dies, what's going to happen? If we're incapacitated, what's going to happen? You know, uh, all of these all of these contingencies, all the things that you could really predict. Mm. So even if the the probability is low, but the impact is high. You want to make sure that that's been uh, taken care of and that the contingency is in place so that you could go, yeah, we're, we're done. We're, ta- we're taken care of. We're, um, the worst can happen and we're going to be fine. Yeah. 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 That's brilliant. Brilliant. Well, I, I mean, I have loads of stuff I could talk to you about, David, but, you know, we haven't got enough time. Uh, so I think we probably ought to leave it there unless you have anything else, Dennis. That you... No, no, it's been really good sitting on the sidelines and listening in. I'm <laughs> really has it? Get there. Yep, it has, it has. <laughs> you um, don't mind. Uh, I, well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope that's, uh, uh, you, you know, you still have people awake at the end of this podcast. I'm sure we will. <laughs> send them to sleep. I'm sure you, we will. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. Very interesting. Thank you, David. You are very welcome. Thank you.